0: What's going on, Warriors? Scott here, and I am joined by my brother over there on the other side of the screen. Rob Long. And we have a special guest in the building, actually in studio. This is the first time I'm super excited to have her here. Kaylee, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming over and... Uh, being a part of this really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come kick it with me and Rob and talk about what you're up to and uh, I'm going to introduce you here with your bio and then I'll turn the mic over to you and you can kind of tell your story so Kaylee is a life coach she's a death doula psychedelic integration coach and public speaker Uh, she did a wonderful TED talk and I'm sure we'll have the link in the show notes after so you can check that out Uh, She's classically trained as a therapist, and she now integrates spiritual philosophy, energetics, neuroscience, and developmental and (laughs) developmental psychology to serve, educate, and inspire her clients and audiences. She believes that joy is our birthright and is passionate about providing safe healing containers for others to claim that for themselves. Welcome to the show, Kaylee.
1: Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, share share your story. with you. This was your bio, like on paper, and mm-hmm. there's so much more depth to you than just what we read here. So I'd love to just turn the mic over to you and share what you're up to.
1: Yeah. Um as I'm hearing you read that bio. I'm like, damn, that sounded good. <laughs> I'm really thrilled I wrote that for myself. Um, yeah, that's a nice clean little synopsis of what I'm up to now. I feel like why people like to have me on their podcast is how I got here, um, because it's a pretty unique and interesting story. Um, and one that shouldn't end like this and what I, what is end like this, um, meaning a really joyful, grateful, inspired individual thrilled to be alive. Um, and why I say this is because I spent uh, the majority of my life chronically suicidal. Um, you know, most of my adolescence, childhood, early adulthood was characterized by profound depression, feelings of emptiness, feeling like I didn't belong here and I didn't want to be here. And I was hospitalized in psychiatric units a number of times, like a lot of times, actually, like I spent the majority of my high school career in and out of psychiatric hospitals. Um, and like truly suicidal, not, not the kind, like I didn't do self harm. Like I made attempts on my life that were fairly lethal and that culminated in my hanging myself when I was 18 years old. And when I hanged myself, I I died. Mm -hmm. I, um, was medically dead um, when my mother found me in my closet I was blue she cut me down attempted to perform CPR to which I remained unresponsive and then ran into the street at some point EMS was called I imagine and um, a police officer just happened to be driving by he was in the house up the stairs attempted to resuscitate me through CPR also unsuccessful and then finally um ambulance arrived. They defibrillated me. I was rushed to the hospital where my body was brought below temperature to prevent my brain from swelling further. The Red Cross was ready to take my organs for donation. Um, but spoiler, that's not how it ended. <laughs> um, <Yay. laughs> so, um, you know, what I say in my TED talk and what I say over and over again is because I think I think people hear this story and they see the person that's telling it and they're a little they have a little bit of a difficult time like negotiating those two realities because they're so far away from each other. And so I think people assume that when they like look at me now, it's a bit of a mind fuck and they're like, it just doesn't seem real. So they kind of I think they assume that when I like woke up and was back in a psychiatric facility. That I was like, ah, I've seen the light. And that was not the case at all. I was furious. I was pissed. I was ashamed. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like, you know, because also a lot of people don't realize this, though. I think um, if you guys have ever seen Little Miss Sunshine, they do a really beautiful job of portraying this reality that, like, if somebody's hospitalized for suicide attempt or radiation or any other, you know, mental health crisis. It doesn't like end when they're discharged, right? Like there's a period of time post discharge that's incredibly stressful, incredibly isolating, incredible, incredibly like shameful, where like everybody in your life is, you know, walking on eggshells around you, looking at you like you're this foreign object, right? Like that. It's like oh, we can't say the thing, or she's gonna implode, or she's gonna kill herself, um, and it's really isolating um, when obviously of what people and those dynamics need most are, like, love and, like, attunement and real connection. And, you know, the attempts are there. I just think they're misguided, unfortunately. But anyway, so after I, you know, I, I had some retrograde amnesia. Obviously, I was hypoxic for, like, I don't know, eight to 10 minutes. And, um, but I suffered no brain damage. Like I, I didn't remember that day, but I was still like fully intact cognitively about a week after, which is pretty remarkable. No, it it's remarkable <laughs> as a fucking miracle. Um, and so I just, I was miserable and I was furious and I felt isolated and shameful, but I just knew in somewhere in me, like at the core level that like this wasn't an accident that I shouldn't fucking be alive I shouldn't be alive and walking talking breathing and functioning as if nothing happened you know the only evidence of this happening was the scar I had on my lip from when I bit through um other and I had bruises on my neck that were pretty gnarly um but otherwise I was You know i wasn't okay (laughs) but i was physiologically intact and so that was the turning point for me when i started you know because i guess i should back up and say you know i I had been in therapy i had been on medication my parents were really diligent in doing what they could um but i didn't want it i didn't want to be here so i didn't want to try it was just like the risk wasn't worth the reward because i wasn't staying like i I, i'm really new quote unquote, that I was gonna kill myself. Like it was a guaranteed it was just a matter of when. But then that happened and I was like, that doesn't seem to be that true anymore. So that's when I just started getting serious about therapy. I started showing up on purpose and really burying my soul and getting really vulnerable, like painfully vulnerable and creating self-awareness. And then, um, I also, so like I, I was doing the inner emotional work and then I was also doing intellectual work. So what I mean by that is I went on to get my bachelor's in psychology and then my master's in clinical psychology. Yes, because I felt like I, I wanted to be a service, which I feel like usually living some sort of tortured experience <laughs> motivates you and inspires you into a life of service. But I also wanted to solve my own murder mystery you know like what the fuck happened why why did i get there why what happened and is this normal and so i think there was like curiosity and like a a hunger to figure myself out intellectually clinically as well because that's what i knew i knew the western model of healing which is you know therapy medication the dsm um so you know I, I did the right things. You know, I exercised and meditated. Um, I started utilizing my friendships in addition to, you know, my therapist and things were okay, but I found myself, you know, in the window between like the end of undergrad and graduate school, I found myself still needing my meds adjusted every six months. And I found myself still like, getting a little bit of a case of i wish i wasn't here's in certain periods um one particular instance comes to mind when i went to um manhattan to visit some friends and every time we went underground i thought myself just like wishing i could just kind of fall in front of the subway Mm. i was like "Hmm, that's probably that probably shouldn't be there anymore you know but i was doing everything right and i think when you're you know the teacher arrives when the student's ready and the teacher's not always a person it's sometimes it's a group of people sometimes it's a book sometimes it's a movie or a podcast episode um and i've i found that when i went to grad school in rural pennsylvania of all places i found a really safe spiritual community Mm -hmm. um and there it was it fulfilled this want that i never really felt comfortable voicing or bringing fully into conscious awareness because of just like the family dynamic, cultural dynamic that I grew up in. That was really like heavily academic, athletic, um, you know, what you can touch is what exists. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I did, I had this really, I always had the spiritual part of me and I was able to begin nurturing that. And that's where I, I feel like I've moved from like survival to thriving. And it was around that time that I really started loving being alive. Mm -hmm. I, you know, after, you know, maybe at some point after my hanging, I like relented to being alive. Like I was like, okay. And began accepting it, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until I started really diving into my faith and spiritual work that I began like really cherishing being alive. And it was, you know, so not shocking around the same time at the, at the that point in my career or education, I was pretty hell bent on getting a PhD in clinical psychology, actually, because I thought that I had to be a doctor to be worth anything. And um, within one week, I had three conversations, the same conversations with three three people that I really respected, actually, Um, because I was like stuck in this, well, if I don't want to do a PhD, I don't want to do like classic mental health, I don't want to do psychotherapy. Um, That sounds lane (laughs) that doesn't that doesn't like it's missing something yeah and the three people said the same thing to me that like you know maybe there's something else Mm. (laughs) and i was like oh wow what a concept so it was around then that i started like kind of like opening my mind and heart to creating something completely different where i could have the freedom where i could have the full expression and like still deeply help people so i graduated went into doing regular therapy um, for a time and i was just continuing my spiritual practice continuing knowing myself developing my intuition and um living more and more surrender and then you know like following the breadcrumbs and eventually that led me to an intuitive development course and it was a really wild experience because i like jumped on the first call and was just like reading people as if they were books, like Mm. as if I had been doing it all my life, which (laughs) turns out I was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then shortly after that, I quit my job, began doing life coaching and psychic readings, and then it kind of all snowballed into what I'm up to now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, wow. There was a lot to unpack there. Holy smokes. Um, (laughs) I think what landed most to me was... we high tech here at the uh, podcast studio. I think what what shows up most for me is when the, the turning point is when you started to like really dive into your spiritual practice and um, like turning towards that and surrender and letting go and allowing and, you know, You didn't say forgiveness but i'm imagining that's in there as well like forgiving Mm -hmm. yourself Mm -hmm. letting go of the shame letting go of you know all of the stuff that was in there and just starting to trust and love yourself and um i really like what you're up to now and i'm curious if you'd like to share a little bit more about that and i know rob was really interested in this when we were talking about doing the podcast with you and working with the dying because you live so powerfully and you're not afraid of death. And I feel like so many people, like me included, like intellectually, I get that one day I'm going to die, but I'm still clinging to it's everyone else, mm-hmm. not me. Yeah. And I feel like you've <clears throat> superseded that. And in doing so, you're really fully living a life of purpose with passion that a lot of people. Could probably take um, some notes of the playbook (laughs) and it would be really helpful because we, yeah, go ahead, Rob.
2: Oh, I was for after you finished (laughs) asking that question. I I I have some stuff to jump in on. Yeah. Yeah,
0: jump in, man. Come on, jump in. Yeah
2: i'm definitely curious about that process and and there's also a point that i wanted to underscore for anyone that was listening Uh, a piece that really deeply resonated with me was around what i'm going to describe as like the reverence for being here and i think i think you touched on it nicely there's there's a sort of objective like scientific way of breaking down reality and i think that that has inherent value it's nice to understand the building blocks But it also removes the process of like the magic of being and similarly for me like when i was in a state where it was suicidal and depressive it was mostly from that sort of empty hollowness of being like that t.s elliott's poem, the hollow men really resonated just like an entire generation without purpose, just drifting through the, the wasteland of existence. That was where I was at. And it, it took the mystique of like, oh, Hey, you can, you can pursue spiritual awakening. You can, you can like get these superhuman abilities to rewire the way that your senses work to give me something, some storyline that I could embody. And, and find meaning in before that transition could happen. So if you're listening to this right now, and this is something that you're struggling with, um, it could be that part of what you've been looking for is a legend to buy into, a storyline mm. that resonates with you that you can really follow. That's that's what I had to say there.
1: Mm. Fuck yeah. I love that you said that, because I, when I was...
2: Oh God, I was hospitalized so many
1: times. <laughs> but I really... <clears throat> it's so bizarre now because when I look back I am like in awe of the duplicity that existed in me even then the like hyper ability to compartmentalize because even when I was at my sickest and I, I mean it I was like certain that I would die by suicide I also had this like backup plan of being phenomenal <laughs> like, like I like of being like really big really successful like really fulfilled and it's so bizarre um like a choose your own adventure story and like i I don't know that i chose but i know i chose um so i really appreciate the like the phrasing of like choosing or like buying into a legend because like that's like the the caliber or like the yeah, the weight of which I feel like I'm living now because it's so, it's thick. Mm. It's really thick. And like the the frequency is deep um, to have died and come back. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. you get it.
0: (laughs) it Makes sense, totally.
1: so yeah, so in regard to the death work, it it's funny, because um, I didn't plan to do this, you know, I, I again, in grad school, when I kind of got clear that it didn't have to be, you know, a tenured professor or a therapist, I was like, well, what do I want it to be? And I wasn't sure. I, I, I didn't care. I just knew I wanted to work for myself, be totally spiritually expressed, be really in service and have the freedom and have the abundance and have the opportunity, et cetera. And I was open beyond that. And I, so I started when I started self employment, I was doing psychic readings and I was doing life coaching because that ma- made sense to me. It was a natural synthesis of my spiritual life and the clinical psychology. Um, but again, like I'm just always open, like I had by that point a really I say really firm but in comparison to what it is now it wasn't but I had a pretty firm understanding of like manifestation and how surrender works and how life opens up and when it's the unknown it's the unknown so it'll show you it'll show you what is next um and so I never planned on serving the dying I it I didn't know that was a thing even Um, I knew that I had helped facilitate a really beautiful death for my grandma and that it felt really second nature. It felt obvious, it felt easy to do. It didn't scare me, it didn't freak me out. Um, It was just really easy to be in the room and to say her prayers and hold the space and do the things. And it wasn't until like nine months after that, did I ever even hear hear the term death doula the first time. Um, but you know, the, the, what is it? The teacher arrives and the student is ready. And my now mentor and partner, um, Mary arrived on the scene. And I just had this knowing like, oh, we're going to be walking together. Um, I don't know how or why. And then shortly after meeting her, maybe a couple months, and she told me she was a death doula and I like immediately knew what that meant despite never hearing the term. i then had um a really profound experience in plant medicine um that showed me death and god and what we are actually and you know it felt like remembering it felt like truth and when i came home I I had a lot of integration work to do around the trauma from my hanging. So I was doing a lot of stuff on um, clearing my throat chakra, about using my voice, about really sinking into my worthiness. And in part of that, just by happenstance, which I don't believe in, um, I was called to watch Going Home with Ram Dass or Ram Dass Going Home. And it's a really beautiful 30-minute documentary about the end of Ram Dass' life. And it was just, you know, I say this, kind of tongue in cheek, like it was the nail in the coffin for me. I was like, I need to work with death. Like it's, it's so obvious that this is the next step for me, that this is my medicine. Like this is, this is a frequency now embedded in my DNA and my bones that I have seen both sides Mm -hmm. and that it's beautiful. And like Ram Dass says, death is taking off a tight shoe. It's really nothing to be afraid of. And because we live in a dual plane, if you aren't friends with death if you are avoiding death you're avoiding life necessarily like period end of sentence and i've seen how attempting to live life safely stifles life um and so i'm really passionate about one sitting with the dying learning about dying being in the room with dying patients being with dying the families of the dying um because every time, you know, it's selfish. It's like, it's for me, it's for me to learn about what we're up to. Um, But it's also, you know, of course, it's of service to the dying individual to provide them a beautiful, comfortable, um, joyful death, if possible, you know, everybody's different. Um, And to ease the burden emotionally, spiritually on their families, because you know, people don't know about the dying process. People don't know what it looks like. People don't know, you know, uh, even in the three-dimensional plane about, they don't know what hospice does. They don't know what nursing homes do. They don't know about medications. They don't know about options, but also like the spiritual energetic plane, they don't really quite understand Um, there is a process. Anyway, um, yeah, so (laughs) I'm really passionate about it in and of itself, but I'm also very passionate about it because, I find that it directly feeds my ability to work with my life coaching clients as well. Um, because like I said, you just, you, I, I will die on this Hill again, pun intended, that if you are unwilling to look at the fact that this ends, you will not live a full life. You will be afraid of your emotions. You will be afraid of the depth. You will be afraid of the darkness. And when you're not willing to go into your darkness, you, you rob yourself of the chance of alchemy. You rob yourself of the chance um, to live a truer, fuller experience.
2: <laughs> <I think that's- laughs> I'm glad you gave a talk about this. I presume that you gave a talk about this. That was very articulate.
1: Um, I've talked about it before. <laughs> yeah. I I, I do deaf education, too. So I I teach um, now the the Anamkara Academy is the end of life doula certification that I was initiated through with my mentor, Mary, and I now am teaching the curriculum as well. So I'm like taking students through it. And so I get to know all sides of it, which is really exciting. And and so I'm passionate about educating. I'm talking about death all the time because I want people to know that they're going to die. Yeah. And not because, like, I want to scare people, but I want to inspire people to make it count, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I can definitely relate in my own experience that I hide out maybe in play small sometimes thinking that I have time. Thinking that oh I'll do it tomorrow or whatever, and I know that that's not the case. I really do. And hanging out with you, I deepened into that understanding. And we had a conversation last night about about a lot of things, and one of them was about manifestation. And you helped me to relax into like just surrendering and knowing that you don't need to figure it out, Mm -hmm. but that God, the universe, love will show you. Mm No sooner did we have this conversation and we said a prayer, I woke up today, went out and intentionally was creating my life and opportunity after opportunity just showed up. And so I I love what you're up to and I love what you bring. And I, I know the truth of it because I feel it in my body and I've experienced it. <clears throat> and I'm curious, like for the listener or for somebody out, out there, like to begin a practice of surrender or letting go or understanding that they are going to die, like what is it that you could offer our listener as a practical tool to help them accept the fact that yes, they are going to die. And in recognizing that you're going to live a much fuller, richer life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. <sighs> Honestly, well, just go, go right for it and meditate on your death. Um, truly because when, when you do, and there are guided meditations out there for this kind of thing, believe it or not, there are other people like me. Um, when you do, because so what, so what does it mean to live a full life? It mean to me, it means to feel all of it and to experience what it's like to have a body and Oh fuck. <laughs> Wait, what did you say that prompted this Hmm. Totally lost my train of thought. Let's cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's
2: keep it in. I want to keep that in. Yeah, let's,
1: keep, yeah, let's totally keep it
0: in. After all seven, all seven of my fuck ups.
2: Oh, God. <laughs> so it was It was like you were looking for a practical tool. Uh, yes. For, for, okay. okay, yeah, yeah. Like you
0: got yeah, so on
1: meditating on death. death. So, yeah, so, okay, so what does it mean to live a full life? It means to feel the full spectrum of your human experience and experience what it's like to have a body. So put your body into different situations, right. To feel all of it, but also, you know, if you want to live a full life that feels good, it's about your values. It's about value driven behavior. And there is no more effective tool to cut through, to examine one's values to say, okay, you're dying tomorrow. What are you doing? It's going to tell you exactly what you care about, what's important to you and your fears and hang-ups, your attachments, right? So the first time I meditated on my death immediately, this is like, oh God, I just like ache for, I mean, the, the Kaylee that existed two years ago. Cause when I did this meditation, you know, it's a really beautiful, like walking through you're at the doctor's office, you get a t- terminal diagnosis, whatever you have maybe a week or something. Mm -hmm. And what I was most concerned about was my debt.
0: Your debt, Yeah,
1: my debt, my financial debt. And what that showed me is I believe I'm a burden. I am concerned about being a burden. I'm not concerned about, like that was the first and foremost concern. Um, And you know, that's real. Like I don't want to leave behind a stack of debt for whoever's, you know, that falls to, Mm -hmm. but that like, yeah, that hurt. Um, and it showed me I had I had something to clean up there um, in my relationship to worthiness of a beautiful death. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, why not get right into it and meditate on your death? See yourself in the doctor's office getting a terminal diagnosis. See yourself on your deathbed. Who do you want there? Who is there? What are you afraid of? What are you feeling grateful for? What would you have wanted your time to be spent like? What would you want people to say about you? What do you want in the room? What smells, flavors, what's there? And that will kind of really start to cut down to the core of what's important to you. And then you use that, you know, that deduction to extrapolate into the rest of your fucking life because all you have is right now.
0: Mm. Makes a ton of sense to me. And I'm recalling like some... Probably some lectures I've listened to around Buddhism, and they have a very specific um, meditation where you like meditate on your body, and then Mm -hmm. it rotting away and Mm -hmm. being eaten by vultures, and just like really, really, really like absolutely. It would in the in Western culture, it would seem like that's fucking sick, super morbid, yeah. And I've also saw something too where these people, when when they die like they cut the body parts up and they feed them to these vultures yeah sky burial it's called yeah
1: yeah because they're they can't the land is too arid you can't dig so they do it on purpose
0: cool well we're not going to tell the listener to go like uh (laughs) yeah don't do that
1: don't yeah don't do that if you want to yeah yeah yeah
0: it's your choice this is your life you can live and die however the fuck you want Um, we can't tell you how to do your you're your shit. Um, but, but there, I
2: there, think there is one way to approach this. Where, like And I've, I've heard of friends doing this as well, where you can go to like a graveyard and then meditate on the, that thought of death. Of, like being mm-hmm. surrounded by the dead. Mm-hmm. Can I place myself in that situation and then mm-hmm. sink into it? But yeah, I mean, if you want to attend a sky burial, then I guess that's like, no one's yeah, going to stop you. you go to some
1: remote yeah. regions of like, Angie's join... mountains or something.
0: But... Or you can join Kaylee and at one of her uh certifications and and work with the dying sit with people who are dying or learn more about death in that way. Mm-hmm. I know you're getting ready to do a retreat coming up here like or not a retreat but is it the certification this Saturday?
1: Oh you no something going on, right I'm holding a grief ceremony. A grief ceremony. Yeah something? so again just doing what I'm told um by the universe was really inspired to host a community grief ceremony um, because I'm I'm really of the belief that any healing process is a grief process. I because grief is ultimately about separation. Mm. Uh, it's it's about duality. It's separation from the one. It's believing that we're separate from anything other than us. And you know what is grief? You know at a neurological level, grief is reaching for something that you know is not there, but reaching for it anyway. And like the profound loss when it's not there and the inability to kind of make sense of that. And it causes great pain, as we know. Um, You know, there's nobody who's capable of listening and understanding this podcast that doesn't have grief. And they might think, oh, well, you know, I've never really lost anybody or experienced any um you know a divorce or anything but like grief is not just about death grief is about the places in us that never knew love it's about the shit we see on the news it's the knowing how privileged we are and how far away from equality we are there you know it's like the sorrows of the world there's also grief for like knowing that everything is temporary which is really funny because when we talk about this one, like I find such great peace in that that like all of this dies, um, but like of course, but like but a good good friend of mine, like a deeply spiritual, beautiful, brilliant woman friend of mine, like that's her like biggest fear is that all of this dies, which is so fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for you, but for like I you know I love the <laughs> I love the contrast. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so grief is not just when somebody dies, grief is like the ways in which we've sold ourselves short, the ways that we've sold out or not shown up or said no to us, um, at at the expense of, you know, our authenticity. Um, so yeah, I felt really called to host a grief ceremony for people to do their grieving because I find that in, our culture, we're highly intellectual, we pay, we place maybe undue emphasis on intellect, which is where language resides. And so, you know, there's talk therapy, which is excellent. But like grief is, we're animals, it's like a feral process, and it needs to be moved, it needs Mm -hmm. to be experienced, we need to do grief and do our grieving so that we can move it. And the thing with grief is it tends to come back in circles but we can hold it in a different way and it becomes less of a burden more magic um it, it you know no longer holds the charge so it becomes wisdom rather than wound mm-hmm. and i just was kind of told late one night like this is what you're doing here's where you're going to do it figure it out <laughs> and i was like no, no. and then it uh wouldn't shut up. So I was like, all right, we're we're doing this. And it's really cool, because I just feel completely unattached to it. It's in two days, and I have no plan, but I just know it's gonna be fine. (laughs) (laughs) And people have already
0: signed up for it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I wanted to make it domination based super accessible. Because I think, you know, I've been really present to the fact that we're animals um, recently, and that We've gotten pretty removed from like our evolutionary processes emotionally, you know, I'm reading this wonderful book called The Wild Edge of Sorrow by a grief specialist, I suppose, Francis Weller, I think is his name, but he talks about how You know these basic human functions like sex and intimacy and play and grief we've gotten so far removed from them that we need fucking workshops to remember how to do it. You know, this is not so this is not about sitting in a circle and talking about our grief i'm really moved to call people forward to do their grief um and see what opens up. Yeah, what
0: does that look like? I'm curious, doing your grief.
1: Yeah, so moving it. So my idea is I'm going to you know, have an altar. I've asked everybody to bring um, a token of their grief. So whether that's a picture of somebody who's passed or um, a flower or a, you know, a piece of jewelry or whatever, and we're all gonna place it on the altar. I'm gonna ask everybody to set their intentions, but I'm also going to be open to, um, I'm gonna ask everybody, to be open to grieving what comes up. You know, we have our intentions, but I also believe in, you know, highest service. And there's also this phenomenon that's very real that, when people are willing to do the work they're taking on the work of the collective anyway, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's, um, you know, I've seen this in group medicine ceremonies where, and even I've, I've done a group reading before actually, where a woman served as like the negative pole where I would be channeling and she was feeling all the grief, all the pain, all the betrayal that I was speaking to for the person I was reading for. And um, actually the same friend of mine who (laughs) has uh, all the fear of everything Dying someday. I, she ended up being like the negative pole is what I call it. Um in a group medicine ceremony, we were um, helping facilitate where she was doing the grieving for the men we were holding space for. Um, and so that's why I'm encouraging, you know, everybody arrive with your intentions, but also being open to the grief that arises because, you know, Ancestral trauma is real, we might not be grieving for ourselves, like we might mm-hmm. think that that's high of highest priority. But actually, if you can go back to generations, all of what we're grieving is, becomes irrelevant somehow. So, um, you know, again, like it's, a, it's really about like a, it's a body process. And so that innately asks people to be more in tune with their intuition. So we're going to do some breath work. Um, we're gonna, and, and you know, setting parameters of like, scream, sob, thrash. Mm-hmm. Um, get up and move any way you feel called to. Like this is a really wild part of us. Um, and so it looks kind of wild. Um, you know, we're gonna meditate, journal, dance, and uh, uh, and do our grieving. I
0: love it. I love it. I, I I am recalling an experience that I had with a group of men, and I had a really challenging time with that screaming piece. Um, until I got back to Buffalo and I held a men's circle and I just realized how much grief that I was holding. Mm. And it's not just mine. Like you Mm -hmm. said, it's the collective it's ancestral. It's my father. It, it, and it goes back and back. And um, once I was able to let that out, I just felt so much more free and just so it it was healing for me. Mm -hmm. It was just like, that was medicine um, in and of itself, just to be able to access and open my, you know, my throat chakra because it's been stifled for so long as a young boy it was like i was mm-hmm. told you know you're going to be seen and not heard so i imagine that that's a piece of it as well so i'm really I'm really appreciating that you're doing this for um
1: men and women
0: right yep correct that's
1: open to everybody whoever wants to come you
0: also mentioned something about medicine and i'm curious if you know. okay cool no i don't know
1: like, <laughs> like <laughs>
0: no i mean medicine is actually being in the room doing mm-hmm.
1: the work mm-hmm. i get it for sure so. yeah absolutely
2: absolutely cool. cool i i have some thoughts about this as well like i love Please. that you're putting a negative poll in the room um i hadn't even thought of that before but the idea mm-hmm. of having someone there who's opened expressing grief that like sort of leads the way blazes a trail for other people to follow that's precisely i've seen it over and over again that's such a smart thing it sounds like a hell of a party you're throwing
1: (laughs) (laughs) well what i want to say actually is it's not on purpose it just happens like when you you know like i think generally when you there's like group ceremony going on typically there's multiple people holding space and it just happens like the other people willing to hold space are like chosen and they become the 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 battery right through which that energy is run alchemized and expelled because for whatever reason they've opted to do that they've they've chosen to do that eons ago um and they have the capacity to do that um and not cling to it i think um and because like ultimately like right the, the healing of the individual is the healing of the collective or the healing of the whole and so i think when people are yeah like choosing to do it they're gonna run what needs to get
2: run. Mm. That makes perfect sense to me. And I know we're getting close. (laughs) uh, We're we're getting really close to the end here. And I wanted to make sure I asked this question because I've I've noticed this thread uh, in you that I don't see very commonly in other people. So when I hear you speak, the thing that stands out to me is there's an absolute sense of certainty and direction. And I think that, also is like it's such a valuable thing it's such like a polarizing thing it's it's the the core spoke of leadership right Mm. and when i think of what people are looking for and what i'm looking for too when i feel lost or when i'm in between things it is that sense of certainty but it also has me thinking of like intuition like it's like everything that you've mentioned seems to have come intuitively to you Mm -hmm. so i guess that parting question is like How would you recommend either I or someone who's listening right now begin to cultivate that intuition so they can get to the same degree of like, this is what I'm doing that you
1: have? Wow, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that reflection, because that's how I feel. Like, I feel absolutely certain, unwavering about what I get to have. And I think what really helped me, you know, I've always had this, but it's never been like this unshakable, this grounded. Um, or not never, but it's, it's relatively new, honestly, like I've always had this certainty, but now it's like certainty, it's like certainty plus. Mm. Um, and (laughs) I feel like, (laughs) I, I feel like what really helped me arrive here is trusting that the desires in my heart are put there from the divine. I believe that we're all meant to do what we want to do. I like, aside from harming others, right? Like if th- that's probably not what you truly want to do at a soul level, right? It comes from wounding or ancestral wounding or what have you. But I, I really believe that aside from doing harm, um, and like I said, I would argue that that's not truly the desires of anybody's heart. Um, but I, I believe that I am we collectively are supposed to have everything we want. And that's why we want to do different shit. That's why we're good at different shit. That's why we have different desires and different inklings and different motivations and want different things is because we are all meant to have it. And so when I really started sinking into that, that like the things that I want are big, I got big prayers, big asks, and I know I get to have it because well, one, you know, I have the, uh, I have the benefit of having died and come back. (laughs) Like I get, I get to like, it's easy to tie it to that. Right. Like my joke is like, I didn't stay alive for mediocrity. Um, But also, you know, fuck that you weren't born for mediocrity. Like just because I like tried to leave and came back, doesn't make it more or less possible or valid for anybody else. You are meant to do what you want. Like you didn't just invent them. Like, you know, The manifestation process requires that you you meet god halfway and so by being willing to check out that weird thing that you're really interested in or having like for example jujitsu like i never thought in my fucking life that i would be doing any martial art i honestly thought they were kind of lame um now i am obsessed with jujitsu and i love it and it was just a complete total intuitive impulse i noticed last year that I, last summer, I just kept hearing jujitsu everywhere. I was like, this is stupid. Um, But like, so that, so I guess I should say that about intuition too, is that it's not like God gets, rents a billboard and says, Hey, Kaylee, do jujitsu that I pass every day. It's just, it's just like a noticing themes. It's noticing what's coming up and how that correlates with a feeling in my body and what feels like truth. And we all know what truth feels like. And so, when you hear something that resonates, don't discount it. Take, be willing to listen and follow the breadcrumbs. Um, and know that if it's exciting to you, it sounds fun to you, it sounds loving or abundant or expansive, who cares if it sounds crazy? Who cares if your family thinks you're an idiot? Who cares if people don't get it or it doesn't make sense with the identity concept that you've built for yourself? Do it. Because you don't know what it's gonna open up for you. Because when it's the divine, it's not going to make sense anyway, because we cannot conceive the divine.
0: Really? <laughs> That's killer. Yeah, yeah, that was killer.
1: Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, you're
0: Makes so much sense. Do the thing. Yeah,
1: just listen. Just listen,
0: yeah.
1: Listen and do, you know, I, what I was saying last night, bow your head and move your feet. Mm.
2: I got nothing to add here, Scott. (laughs) Like,
0: yo, this badass mic has just been dropped. (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing your art and your Mm. wisdom and uh, your time with us and the listener. And there's so much um, value in what you brought. And uh, glad you stuck around.
1: (laughs) Hey, me too. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really fun.
2: Yeah. Loved having you here. And if you listen to this and you got something out of it, we're going to include Kaylee's information in the description down below. Um, There'll be links to her talk as well as to different portals where you can contact her or get in contact with her services. I don't know why I phrased it like that. (laughs) And (laughs) if you enjoyed this podcast, you got something good out of it. Be sure to subscribe, leave a comment. I I don't know if there's other stuff you can do to interact with it, but that helps us out and spread the word as well. So thank you for being here. We love you and we'll catch you next time. Peace.
1: Peace. Bye.